Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pocket Now Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Vergara. What's going on, everybody? This week, or rather this episode, is all about the news that dominated last week's cycle, which was all Worldwide Developer Conference, Apple's WWDC 2020. Just a little bit of opinion right off the bat, it is great to see Apple really stepping up and trying to give all of their announcements, whereas other companies are finding it a little bit hard to create their events on a remote scale due to, of course, this pandemic and, you know, everything going on with Corona. So it's no surprise that last week's news cycle was all about Apple's announcements. Jaime already did his long daily about it, and then we had him on the show, uh, and he just fleshed out all of the hype that he has for all of the different announcements that were made, including the fact that iOS 14 finally has widgets, and also ARM-based processors are going to be in MacBooks, which might change the landscape of the Apple ecosystem uh, drastically. We recorded this episode using IG Live so that Jaime and I could talk to one another with a live chat. If you want to be part of that live chat, make sure you get over to the PocketNow Instagram account so you know when we do these lives every week. Be a part of the audience. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into this episode all about WWDC with myself and Jaime Rivera. Enjoy. I think this is going to be an interesting episode because um, I've known this about the culture of PocketNow even before I joined is that people tend to think that you're like the apple guy <laughs> like they they really kind of they, i find it funny in the comments once in a while so i find it funny we're about to talk about wwdc on a platform where there is a live chat so i'm looking forward to this <laughs> well it, it depends on who you ask so okay funny story um when i started i started as a typical reviewer we had a forum and i would just collaborate um, and then I became more of a behind-the-scenes person, more of the guy that was bringing in the ideas. I was still working for UPS. I couldn't devote 100% of my time to Pocket Now. And so I remember there was a time when they were like, why don't we just you know, bring you in a little more? And you could start dedicating yourself to a little bit of content, which is how the iReview began before the Daily was born. So this is like pre-Daily the video show that I was doing were originally it was about Apple. And, you know, this was an I was inspired by Brian Tong. I saw the Apple bite and I'm like, oh, my God, I want to do something like this. This is this is exactly what I want to do. And so this is how I became the Apple guy. There's actually an article where we had no Apple coverage. And this is how you know, we, we started with the whole, all right, what can you do that's completely different to what everybody else is doing? And so we had Joe Levi, who was in charge of Android. We have we had Adam Lynn, which was in charge of Windows Phone. I was the Apple guy. And so that's actually how mm. I begun. And it's not until we got into the daily that I branched out to everything, which for me was perfectly, I, I had no problem with it because I that's how I would get iPhones. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Um, all right. Well, by the way, I don't know if your audio changed to the phone. Can Are you hearing me through your yeah, headphones? Yeah, my audio phone? changed completely, and I don't know what happened. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> we were doing so well. Um, but oh, anyway, it's it's good to hear that story, and I, and I think it's great. And I will get back. I actually have my own little iPhone story from, from just a couple of days ago. But real quick, I wanted to make sure that the audience heard this, and uh, I wanted to give a shout-out to Diego. Uh, I put out the LG Velvet review the other day, and uh, we have this system where I, you know, I, I do the video, I do the script, the script gets made into a post, and then Diego actually works on our thumbnails. So 
<laughs> what happened was I was looking through the comments for the first few hours after that video came out and someone said, I actually thought I clicked on a Verge video when I saw the thumbnail. I'm actually really happy that this was what I got. And it was like the, the thumbnail was very Vergey, And I was like, you know what? I find that to be high praise. I think Diego deserves a lot of credit because he makes nice. awesome thumbnails. It's funny because, you know, the whole idea of Diego doing thumbnails was your thumbnails suck. <laughs> that was just Diego's. Diego, that's I love the relationship I have with Diego where every, everything is like straight up. This is what it is. And he's like, your thumbnails suck. I bet that if you give me a subscription to Photoshop, I can totally make them better. And I'm like, you totally want a subscription to Photoshop and you want that as an excuse. All right, fine. Whatever. <laughs> Prove it. <laughs> Well, that's great. Well, I know I know Diego listens to the show and he watches. So thank you, Diego, for 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 just rocking it on the thumbnails. Uh, all right, give me a second. Servidor unlock GT. Hello, Jaime and Josh. Saludos desde Guatemala. Jaime, avísame cuando vengas a Guatemala. Así nos tomamos un café. Okay, I will totally go to Guatemala if it's Cafe Barista. I will totally join you. <laughs> a guy from Guatemala is inviting me, and let's have coffee. Sure, but I have a specific coffee shop that is just it'll make starbucks taste like water oh whoa <laughs> oh yeah strong coffee well, let, let's admit starbucks is not really great it's not and i i have a reputation in our friend group for being the the snobbiest of us when it comes to coffee so <laughs> even back in authority the guys still have this whole joke where they go is it josh approved <laughs> oh my god if anything i'd love to go to the coffee bean in california that's fantastic in my opinion yeah, not a, not a fan of starbucks at all mm -hmm. but anyways uh, said ambra thinks that you just got done with a 20 mile run <laughs> actually i haven't been able to train today it's today has just been crazy man like we had so many phone calls today so many conference calls a lot of embargo stuff we can't talk about yet but that's yeah. fantastic i i just love that this market continues to grow and continues to evolve regardless of the amount of craze that's happening all around us yeah indeed um all right so i have a small story about the iphone and i just wanted to bring it up because we are talking a lot of apple stuff today so go for it i have i have a bunch of I have a bunch of friends, like all my friends, my best friends, aside from the tech industry are from college and I went to college in San Diego. So I have a lot of friends down there and they've been making moves. A few people actually moved up to SF, they got new jobs, all this stuff. So I'm, I'm in a silo here in LA. I don't have that many friends here in LA. So we do happy hour Zoom calls. So the one who moved recently to San Francisco, we'd used Google Meet, is it Google Meet is what it's called? And um, it actually worked really well. But then they started talking about how they put a bunch of pictures in the chat so everyone check it out. And I didn't see any pictures in the chat. I thought I was looking at the Google Meet chat. And I was just like, hold mm -hmm. on. Is there a group chat I'm not a part of right now? <laughs> and they were like, everyone just froze and they were like, oh yeah, oops. Um, and then they realized why. I have a green bubble. <laughs> so I had to get you're, you're poor. my iPhone you're poor. Back. Exactly. You don't have the blue button. God, I, I hate that perception in the United States of people that don't have a blue bubble in their phone. It's like, really? Yep. So they were like, oh, it's it's Blue Club. Like, you don't have iMessage, so we can't add you to the group chat. And I was like, this is bull. I got it. So I had to charge up my iPhone, like, get it ready again, go onto iMessage and, and message one of them to add me to the group. And now I'm finally in the group chat. So that's why I'm on the iPhone right now. <laughs> 
but it's it's fantastic how text messaging like how sms and just the the messaging app of your phone is so predominantly in the united in the united states where you've been to philippines nobody uses text messaging that's where you get your spam like mm -hmm. here in honduras we don't use sms at all that's where i get all the stupid spam from stores all we use here is whatsapp whatsapp for absolutely everything Mm -hmm. um, if anything, I've, you know, we've made the move to Telegram just because of how much I hate Facebook and how much I'm not willing to support their services, but I sadly can't get people out of WhatsApp quick enough. So sadly I have to be using, you know, I have to be using WhatsApp every now and then. It is really annoying to me that you can only get it on one phone. Those are first world problems. Like how many people are carrying two phones or more or have to be switching phones around. So that's more yeah. our problem than anything, but honestly, I, I'm shocked at how much people in the United States rely on the messaging app, period. How much iMessage is a thing. How much FaceTime is like the only thing on earth for video calls. I'm like, there are far better services out there. If anything, I'm liking how Zoom is, is gaining so much popularity with everything that's happening over the fact that people are not making like group FaceTime video and you can't talk to everybody because not everybody's carrying an iPhone. That's just mm -hmm. the thing. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, I will say that as much as Zoom is becoming popular, I have to actually give a shout out to Google Meet because last night when we did that happy hour chat, I was like, whoa, not one cutout except for me because my camera died. But yeah, like it was really awesome. So Google Meet, since it's more available to more people who even don't have a G Suite, I think that was the move that was made. More people can use yeah. it. I actually kind of recommend it. So, yeah. um, all right. So enough Google talk. It's time to just talk about what is on everyone's mind today or the last couple of days wwdc happened and i have to admit that i had to look at the highlights afterwards including jaime's uh daily about it and longest um, daily ever longest video ever i remember you were saying that yeah um i remember clicking on it and i was because the thing is when i see a video and it's over five minutes or six minutes i usually think oh there's a dedicated video i didn't think that was a daily that you were doing <laughs> Well, oh, it pretty man. much was a dedicated video. Think about everything that got announced. I mm -hmm. Okay, usually WWDC, ever since, I would say, because the last time that Apple launched an iPhone at WWDC, it was the iPhone 4. That was the last time, literally 10 years ago. Every single other time, like, they moved launches. Like, I remember how the 4S became, like, people were starting to worry because nothing was getting announced. WWDC happened for the 4S, and no product was announced. And then, you know, Steve Jobs sadly passed away, and then they launched the 4S, like, two days later. Um, and, you know, WWDC has always been a, a show about software. And for me, it's usually like we cover it because it's the latest version of iOS or now iPad OS or watch OS and everything. But it's not really because anything is amazing. Like iOS was always an iterative version of whatever we've known for a, more than a decade. You know, iPad OS was the highlight last year, but then Mac OS was always just a tweak here, a tweak there. And then this year, WWDC has been as I begun the daily, the first time that Apple makes so much change in macOS in the past two decades, 20 years, mm. literally. I mean, when was the move to the power? Like, when was the move to, when was OS X launched? It was 20 years ago. And then the move to, from the from PowerPC to, to Intel chips was 2006. 
Like, it's been 15 years since we've seen Intel Max. It's been 20 years since we saw OS X. Uh, you know, and by the way, TK, this is a, I want to believe, so I'm, I'm sure you understand what the shirt means. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, well, we, um, it's just... We really shouldn't bear... Like, I was actually going to say, like, you know, kind of kind of contrary to the... To the kind of the more the more that i keep thinking about the more the order of how to go through what wwdc is like it's it's really great to have um the main announcement be the arm processors and i think we should start with that today because because as you said in your daily that is the biggest deal because it means that there's going to be ubiquity across every single experience so when i first heard about rumors that apple would go into the arm uh arm chips to me that only sounded like okay so now the max will have a different chip but you actually made it very clear that that means that there is going to be a seamless through and through experience across all devices not just iphone ipad mac but everything so here's the thing i had no idea for the first thing i had no idea that power pc was an arm chip did you know that I, I do remember that detail. I never used PowerPC. So it, it was technically not what I would call an ARM chip, but it was a RISC processor. It was, it was also a reduced uh, instruction set. It wasn't a CIS processor like Intel chips. Um, and so it, was, it literally was built on the same architecture. So think about it. Mac OS was literally all, that's the reason why Apple had no problem in, bring, in creating iPhone OS many you know more than a decade ago because they literally already had the code for the arm chip and all mm -hmm. they had to do was port it and adapt it to a phone so it's just it, it's funny how mac os has literally always lived the double life which by the way was a phrase by steve jobs when they announced the move to intel you know back in the day power pc was just not growing quick enough and so we have that same situation right now where apple is literally just going back to the origins of os 10 which was built on risk and literally and by the way risk not the word risk by the way not the verb <laughs> But point being is, yes, just think about it. Since iOS was literally just ported to the, I, I would assume, to the original code that was used for OS X back in the day. Yes, that's the whole idea. The whole idea is if we've had so much time for, you know, Mac OS applications to take off for a ton of reasons. I don't feel that it's just developer adoption. I'm sorry, developers, like you guys charge a lot of money for your Mac OS applications. And you guys have just totally forgotten the reason why iOS applications became a thing. It was it was called 99 cents. When iOS launched their app store in, you know, back in 2009, I think it was with the iPhone 3G, it like applications you have to remember where we came from with windows phone there were apps and you can download the applications back then on hand and go and 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 so many other platforms where you can buy your applications but each one was 30 bucks and so what yeah. made ios so popular is buying angry birds for a buck i actually was one of the people that paid a buck for whatsapp back in the day when it launched on ios because it was, it was the only way you could communicate <laughs> It was a paid application, and it was the only way you could communicate with people on a BlackBerry. And so that's the reason why WhatsApp became such a phenomenon. And so it was that. Applications were never more than a buck, 
two bucks, three bucks. And sure, I get it that now, you know, companies want to figure out a way to survive, but macOS applications have never taken off because if I want to buy the PDF Expert app that I love on my iPad, it's a, I think it's a subscription where it's like 20 bucks a year, where if I want to buy that application for the Mac, it's 75 bucks. I'm like, mm. seriously, 75 bucks? Like, come on guys. Nobody, I, I'd rather that be part of the subscription service, which is what Adobe's doing. Where I, if I mm -hmm. buy the subscription of Photoshop and, and Lightroom, which is what I have, I can use it on the iPad, on the iPhone, like everywhere. Just one subscription for everything. And so I think that yes, it'll bridge the gap because you can literally run, like it, there's a very simple way to port iPad applications uh, to the Mac with, uh, I forget, uh, Mac Catalyst is the name of the application. and supposedly iOS apps will be able to run on a Mac pretty much like you can run iPhone applications on an iPad, technically. Yeah, it's, it's supposed to be, it's not really virtualizing, right? It just, it actually seemed like just its own window in Mac OS, which seems so nice. Technically, it doesn't need to be virtualized because if you exactly. think about it, it is the same chip with <laughs> more RAM. It is literally just the difference between the A12Z on an iPad or on a Mac is more RAM. That's the thing about risk processors. They actually are more RAM hungry and yet compared to Cisk, and yet Apple has been able to prove that you don't like the company has been legendary at launching iPhones that are very snappy and iPads with very little RAM. Just think about it. So mm. yeah, the, technically that's, that's the change. It, all they're doing is they're running Mac OS on the same chip as the iPad. And what makes it be able to do what it does is more RAM. And I would assume that there must be a better graphics processor. I guess that A12Z was about a lot more than we thought when it came to its graphics prowess. Mm. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, not to say that Macs have ever been really like gaming machines, but if all of the games that are in the App Store, for example, are able to be played on a Mac machine. Like, that's pretty cool too. But I think that we had this conversation not too long ago about how my concern would be that developers need to jump onto a new architecture, but there was a whole section of that as well, talking about how you mentioned yeah. Catalyst earlier, there are other applications that are being updated so that you can easily port and create an app or program for both ARM and Intel chipsets at the same time. And it was just like, wow, there has been a lot. That was exactly what we were hoping we were going to hear. I remember that was my concern. So it's nice that they I love I, I love the com the comments right now. Hennaway is saying, WWDC summary, we copied Android. I'm like, dude, you realize when widgets launched on OS 10? OS 10 Tiger, you know, or was it, I think it was Tiger. Like, come on guys. Like, I, I get it that Android was able to put it on the home screen a long time ago. I get that part, but they weren't invented by Android. Um, and so here's the thing, like, a lot of things of this show were, I guess, I, I wonder what took Apple so long to just make these steps, if you think about it. Like, for example, you just mentioned the fact that, you know, gaming, you know, gaming has never been a thing on the Mac, and then now you'll be able to run these applications. Well, I think that Apple is teaching companies like Microsoft the lesson. For example, with the always connected PC, where the whole environment is emulated, Apple is not doing the same thing. Apple is porting their operating system to be fully native on the chip. And what they're doing is offering developers the option to emulate. You can emulate through Rosetta. 
which is Rosetta 2, which is the way they did it back in the day. It was the same thing. They made a native version of Mac o of OS 10 back in the day to run on Intel chips. And those PowerPC coded applications had something called Rosetta that would allow them to work on the, you know, on, on the SIS processor on, on Intel. Mm. And so now they're doing things backwards, but it's not at an operating system level, meaning Mac OS is ARM. That's what they did. And it's only if you want to bring those applications in that you can emulate them if you want. And bear in mind, that won't last forever. Rosetta, I believe, remained being supported for four or five years, something like that. And it's it was when Apple started setting these old PowerPC Macs vintage that they stopped providing support. Actually, I think it was longer. And so, yes, you literally will be able to, but as opposed to the always connected PC where you don't know what applications will work and which ones will, on yep. the Mac, you won't have that problem. If you have an Intel-based application, you will be able to run it because Rosetta is not at a developer level. It's a consumer level. Rosetta is going to be part of the Mac and you're going to be able to run whatever you want with it. So you won't have to deal with the problem. Yeah, and I think from what I remember, from what I was reading and from your, your daily, it's a two-year transition process. So I think 2022 is when it's meant to actually be mostly ARM across all Mac processors or all, across all Mac products. Do you think that's enough time for a lot of the developers to actually adopt all of this? Because sometimes developers take a while to actually jump into a new system. See, Michael Josh agrees with me. That's all I needed. If Michael Josh agrees <laughs> with me, I have everything. All right, so here's the thing. Think about it. How is a developer, how is a consumer affected? You go, let's say two years from now, you buy a Mac. If you buy it with the A12Z, A13Z, A14Z, whatever that chip is going to be called, you have your Mac, with your app store, all the native applications are going to be set to work on that Mac. And if you have any Intel-based applications, if your developer did the job of porting it, you have the option to get the, the ARM version of the app. And if you don't, then you simply use Rosetta and your application will still be able to work. Simple mm, as that. Okay. So, so that's the beauty of it, that the consumer won't be affected. When, back in the day when Rosetta used to work, you didn't have to launch Rosetta and then launch an app. No, you would simply, it was part of your launcher. You would double click on the app, it would play. You had mm -hmm. no way to know if the app was working natively or emulated. And that is the correct way to do it. You don't Fair, yeah. wait for developers to do their job. You will let them take whatever time they want but in the meantime, you will have the option of Rosetta, which is going to do the, the, the heavy lifting for you if you can't. And so the consumer within two years can buy whatever Mac they want. And so to my understanding, it's Rosetta for, for Intel to work that way. And then I forget the name of the app that's going to do the backwards compatibility. And so if you have an Intel-based Mac and there are ARM-based applications, it's the same thing backwards. And so mm. you literally, as a consumer, will not have to deal with anything. The problem is what happens with your application if it doesn't get upgraded five years from now? That's the problem. If you depend on some sort of application five years from now, you're going to have to figure out an alternative. But what could happen from here to five years from now? I just, here's the thing. If developers actually, like if Apple is making such a move, it's literally because 
Intel has proven. It's, it's funny how, how Intel has proven Apple right. When, like right now, we're on the verge of five nanometer chips on wrist processors, where Cisk is still stuck at 10 nanometer. And they can provide all the optimizations they want to those 10 nanometers, but they're still 10 nanometers. Yeah. You know, you're still you're still losing that power efficiency. And so I think that Apple is just it's like if people Apple is making the move and people are just validating it because it's not like if they didn't wait. Intel had everything they could. Right now, dude, AMD is killing it with their with their sys mm -hmm. processors. Like Intel is has dropped the ball for whatever reasons I don't care. I feel bad. I love Intel products. Don't get me wrong. It's me. It has nothing to do with me having anything against it. But I have to just. This is not me saying I am an Apple fanboy or whatever. I just, you know, we've seen the transition of Windows into Snapdragon and all the hiccups in between because they've emulated everything and then some things work and some things don't. Whereas Apple doesn't give the problem to the consumer. That is the way things should have been done from day one. Well, Microsoft already had an ARM-based version of Windows. They created it with Windows RT and they canned yep. it more than five years ago. Why did they not just grab that code and port it to all the benefits that risk processors have today and simply had figured out an emulation environment for apps. That's all they needed to do, but not for the whole operating system. I think that mm. that would have just solved everything. Apple is literally just teaching everybody how it was supposed to be done, and they've got experience. They did it already with OS X. They did it. Yeah. And there is already development for so many already essential applications on uh, iPad OS and on all the other systems that will easily go over to Mac. So that whole Rosetta part, though, I didn't really know that layer. So that's the reason why I was curious about like, because I guess I was thinking more about the small developers who might not already have the scale to be able to just shift over to a different code and all of that. Um, you know, as, as much as Apple is trying to provide the tools to make that transition easier, I know that the smaller developer might have a bit of a harder time getting there. Uh, but that was just my thought. Um, but yeah, as far as the ARM processors, that obviously was one of the most rumored things that was going to happen at WWDC. Did actually happen. One of the best parts about it, for sure. So I'm going to go ahead and shift the gears a little bit to a different oh. operating system. Oh, oh look sorry, at this. Michael, My Michael Joss is already admitting his age. He was like, I was around for the PowerPC to Intel. It was painful. But <laughs> this time around, it's going to be different. Really? Michael Josh, I thought you were 20. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, so the uh, <laughs> there's another little cultural thing. Like I, I started this off with a cultural thing, but there's another thing that I always remember. Uh, earlier on when I first came onto the podcast, people would always wait for the Jaime Rivera Apple Watch rant. And now, <laughs> and then when I watched your, your daily on WWDC, one thing stuck out to me. You do, you very much enjoy the Apple Watch. I know this. Um, certain versions of it, series, I forget which one. Was it three? Series 4. For me, Series 4 oh, was the best one. You admitted that you only use one app on there. <laughs> um, and that's what kind of made me chuckle because I was thinking to myself that you were like a real power user of the of the watch OS and of everything like that. And I just thought of, I found it funny that you said, I only really use one app on here. And now they're actually addressing it by adding something like sleep tracking. Um, yeah. So where do you land on the improvements with watch OS in particular? So I do love the idea of the, okay, so I'm a runner. 
I also, mm-hmm. you know, I also weight train. So for me, so I'm a cyclist, the runner, and I do weight training. And so I love the idea of having a watch phase that's focused on running that you can actually create and, and tailor your complications to your hobbies. So I mm-hmm. see that, like, for example, I worked in aviation for 15 years. I would be like, my God, I would go crazy with this Apple Watch if I were still back in those days. I would have my altitude information. I would have my pressure altitude information as well. The current temperature, the dew point, like all these things I would already have. I would have the three time zones that I care about. And so that, like, it's literally like making a pilot's watch, a runner's watch. That to me is like the epitome of customization. Like if you can actually make the watch, it's it goes beyond just having complications, but having them talk to each other. I think that that's genius. I really do like that. I like sleep tracking. <clears throat> I feel that if Apple took as long as they took to make it, for example, I think that Series 5, because of their battery life constraints, regardless of how much Apple says that it's great, it's not, um, was one reason, but then notice it's not just about your heart rate going below. I would, I think like, for example, in my case, my sleeping heart rate is like 63, 68, something like that. It's not just about that, but also your breathing patterns. Like it's able to detect all these things. And so, you know, I think that they're just doing it right. I mean, they've been doing bedtime for the longest time. And so I, I just discovered that it's finally part of Android. If you have a pixel, for example, and so, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like they're just making the watch more useful. I wish that Watch OS Seven figures out battery life. That for me is like the biggest problem. <laughs> Series Three well, was answer, fantastic. Well, Go to answer it. the question there, like uh, I know that for me, whenever I used Android, um, whenever I used uh, Wear OS watches, I um, uh, look look I at my face. Just <laughs> look at my face. Wear OS, like seriously. <laughs> whenever. I agree. Wear OS is probably one of the biggest like travesties in Android right now. Um, but I will say this: whenever I did use Wear OS, especially for certain applications like sleep tracking, sleep as Android to me is still one of the best applications out there, especially for sleep tracking. I have it connected to this uh, Mi Band 4. But what I would do, and to, to answer the question of like when do you charge it, you you just make an effort to charge it before you lie down. You know, like at this, at some point when, you know, let's say dinner, put it on the charger. Cause you have to know it's a very intentional thing to have to be like, I have to track my sleep. So I have to make sure it's ready for that. So I guess somewhere in the middle of the day, not ideal, obviously, but yeah, that's, that, that was the flow that I had at least. And I imagine that that might be the case with sleep tracking on watch OS seven. For me, I would charge my watch literally before I like, I would just because watch os previous versions and 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 apple watch series three and four would zip so little battery i would literally wake up the next day with 70 65 battery life enough battery for me to actually be able to go through the rest of the day if i wanted to but i would still you know i would wake up and i would put it in the charger and go shower and because the watch burnt so little battery, by the time I came out of the shower, shaved and everything, my watch was already charged right there. Whereas with mm. Series 5, the hit to battery is so strong. I could probably go to bed and the battery is at 20, 25%. So, so much battery has been burnt that if I do that same routine in the morning, by the time I come out of the shower, the watch is barely charged 50, 60%. And so, uh, I see. yeah. That's the biggest problem with so, Series 5. Apple Watches are still a one-day 
battery life. They never really got. They've never blew past that very much. Because I never. Whenever Apple. Whenever Series Four. Whenever Series Three came out, particularly if you went for the LTE variant, dude, that bad. I like. I remember one day, one time I used that watch literally for three days. In Bar- I ter- I train mm. every day, like literally, I train every okay. day. So you know, I. How did it last so well? I don't know. Series four was more a day and a half to two days scratching the surface. The surface. Whereas, my God, Series five, like I get battery and anxiety with that thing. Like, <laughs> look at what watch I'm wearing. Huawei Watch GT two E right now. Like, I get yeah. battery and anxiety with that Series five. You know, I and that it doesn't matter if you switch off the always on display. Doesn't matter. Doesn't oh, matter. You can okay. switch it off, and the battery is still that bad. I see. All right. Well, uh, in in the same vein as accessories, there were also some announcements around the AirPods, AirPods Pro, obviously, what we're wearing right now. Uh, So the main thing was, I'm looking at the graphic. I love the graphics, by the way, that they always make where it shows the OS and then all the different things that were announced. I I, I do really like that. Um, As far as uh, AirPods Pro are concerned, uh, the main thing is spatial audio. I've never actually experienced spatial audio in its full entirety. Like I never had like a Dolby enabled thing and it might be 5.1 or it might actually be based upon the media that you're listening to. So you can actually hear things like literally in the space around you. Um, What a dormant feature for the AirPods Pro to have. And then a software update is actually going to make it happen uh, moving forward. I was actually surprised when I heard that because I, I already think the AirPods Pro are really good, but I didn't know that there was more to unlock. So that that surprised me as far as Apple's announcement was concerned. Um, Which would you consider to be the best uh, true wireless earbuds? Overall or a category? Like like a sound or fusibility? Which would you say are the best true wireless earbuds? If you had to pick out of everything that you've tested, which we've tested everything. To be honest... I actually don't need too much from my earbuds. So not the AirPods and not the Pixel Buds. I want good sound. I want durability and I want ease of use. Job, uh, not Jabra, so I almost said it wrong. Uh, the Jaybird Vistas are actually my favorite. All right, my favorites so. ever. Like I don't think I've ever loved the pair of earbuds more in my life are AirPods Pro. Mm. You know me, you know I hated the first AirPods. I was like, don't buy those things. They're terrible. They truly are terrible. But AirPods Pro, dude, that air vent, that whole ambient way, mm-hmm. the whole the whole way it pulls up ambience. And now that you're gonna be able to seamlessly switch between iPad, the Mac, if you get a phone call, it automatically switches to the phone. Like that, it's funny, when I bought the first AirPods, I, I was like, why is it that, that, because I thought that they did the automatic switching People were like, oh, AirPods are magical. And I'm like, no, they're not. Like, literally, you have to go and select the switching, which is literally how every other pair of Bluetooth headsets works. You can pair up to eight products, and then you can switch around, but you have to manually do it. Same thing with AirPods until now. You know, so for Mm. me, like, dude, the noise canceling, man. Like, there are times where it's as good as my Bose 700s. I've used them on planes. Like, the only thing AirPods Pro are missing are transatlantic battery life, if anything. If there's one <laughs> thing I would nitpick that doesn't exist is like, give me battery life like the Galaxy Buds Plus, which are the only ones that truly use the Bluetooth 5.0 benefits of separate audio. 
Uh, and that's mm. the reason why their battery life lasts so much. Even the Jabra Elite 75Ts, they told me that we, we should be getting an update someday where that would be enabled, but right now it's it's a slave and the other one is the one that's connected. And so that's the reason why you don't have the amazing battery life that you do on, on Galaxy Buds Plus. But other than that, dude, I have to say it, like Apple just made this product a million times better. If you can do that automatic switching plus spatial audio, like really, Josh, like, you know, what else is what I, else is wrong with these things? I, I totally agree with you. But I the way that I am lately, since we're all stuck at home right now, what has become much more uh, what, what, what has become something I've noticed. That's the term I'm looking for. Something I've noticed is what devices I reach for immediately. And the AirPods Pro and the Pixel Buds were never, ever the, oh, I'll just pick this up. Oh, I'll just pick this up. It's always a tie between the Jaybird Vistas, the Jabra Elites, and these Sennheiser Momentum 2s. These, I think, are the best sounding truly wireless earbuds, hands down, with Sony kind mm. of right after it. But, but yeah, like as far as the ones that I always gravitate to, just because they look good, you could use either one. They're sleek, easy to pair to anything. The, the Jaybirds, I've, I've used them across all my devices at one point or another. <laughs> I, have, I have not tried the so, Jaybirds yeah, or the Sennheisers, I and I will... I have not tried the Jaybirds or the Sennheisers, and I'm not going to agree with anybody in the comments about the Sonys. I'm sorry. That case is the size of my truck. <laughs> for what reason? Like, why? Why? Yeah. If I have to go for what earbuds nail the whole experience, it's that. And I can't believe that a software update can bring that. So, see, this is the mm. thing that I like about... It's, it's funny how I, I became so respectful of the way Apple protects their consumers. You're not buying a cheap product. No, you're not. These are very expensive products when you compare them to other things. But it's like I tell people, if you wanted to spec that laptop to be spec'd just as this MacBook Pro, and you also wanted to have it made of aluminum with much with a with a actual with a fully color accurate display which i need for video editing do the math of how much money you'd have to pay and so it's that plus mm -hmm. you know the whole aspect of airpods pro where even if this product shipped a year ago you're gonna get so many features out of it even today same thing with iphone dude you bought your iphone 11 pro even if you have an iPhone 6S, 6S is it, or 7? I, I don't remember up to when is iOS 14 supported. You're not going to get everything. But still, if you bought your iPhone 7 back in 2016, 2016, you can still get iOS 14. Yeah, that is a big deal. But that's, that's, that's what you're able to do with a walled garden rather than the well, I will say ubiquity, but the fragmentation, it's such a cliche word to use when it comes to Android, obviously. Uh, but I just mentioned Android. We are going to get into it. Obviously, some people were already thinking, like, let's talk about how Apple copied Android. Let's do it. In any case, we're going to get right. right into that. Uh, <laughs> we're going to get right into that, starting with the iPad for a little bit. I do want to make sure we cover all of our bases right after this little break. Um, all right, so for iPad OS, handwriting with the Apple Pencil gets better. Not only, not only the sense that Apple Pencil is going to have a much better, like, it is, it's not only going to be easier to use, it can actually detect your handwriting as well. I write like chicken scratch. I have no idea how it's going to actually <laughs> recognize my writing, <laughs> personally. But you were just saying that you love the iPad because of the Apple Pencil. 
Um, so maybe you can uh, elaborate a little because I've seen you use it and you do love that thing. <laughs> so I, I adore this thing because it literally reminds me of those yellow pads. You remember those that we all use at some point in our lives? And so I'll give you an example. Like I, I'm actually taking some, you know, co college courses again. And literally, if I go back to, obviously not everybody's going to be able to see this, but see, like I use this mm -hmm. as my digital notepad. Microsoft OneNote on this thing is all I need. And so they are bringing some new features where you know, handwriting is given the same level of importance as, you know, text. This is not new. Like, the Galaxy Note has been able to do it. There, you know, you're able to write something and the software is able to detect the text and you can actually search for it. You know, the Galaxy Note doesn't necessarily allow you to copy the text and then paste it as text. I don't think it does. I, I would need to look into that. Um, but, uh, yes, Michael, Josh, this is, this is you and this guy's talking right now, <laughs> but, um, like for example, Microsoft with the surface has been able to do certain handwriting recognition and then turning it into text. And we've seen, like, we've seen even Palm back in the day doing it with graffiti. Like this is not necessarily new. It's just the concept of being able to grab your text and make it, you know, like if you're if you're on a search field, you can literally just write whatever you want. I've actually wanted that. Sometimes I don't want to tap on something and have to wait for the keyboard and then start typing Y if I already have an input method right here. And I just want to yeah. draw on the text field and write what I want to say. Like it's that level of seamless, you know, what would it be? Seamless integration? No. It would be the lack of separation between you wanting to use text today, you wanting to use handwriting tomorrow. If you're in a meeting and you just want to write down your notes because you're faster at writing for whatever reason, I will never, I never will be, but I know people that are. Like my brother, for example, my brother actually learned to type with typing tutor back in the days. Michael Josh would understand what this means, but he learned to type with just one finger. And so he's really slow at typing. Um, and so for me, I type with all fingers. I'm really fast at it, but for him, he prefers handwritten notes. And so for a person like him, that's just fantastic. But you know what's even more fantastic? It's the fact that you can buy an iPad for 350 bucks, the cheapest iPad, and then you buy the Apple Pencil for $90, and you know, you don't really have to buy an iPad Pro to be able to take advantage of that feature. I just feel that that was like the missing link of the iPad, where the Apple Pencil stopped being just a creative tool and became more of an interaction, an interactive tool. Well, you don't need it. You can buy your iPad and not use it. You can get any Bluetooth keyboard. You don't need to buy Apple's keyboard. But if you do, there's this enhanced experience behind it. I love that. Yeah, totally. And I, I do, I do still have that sort of like analog feel where I would love to like write in a notebook. I mean, you remember I used to walk, run around with a notebook and that's how I would take my yeah. notes, but it just didn't seem, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you that I type a lot faster. Like I have, <laughs> I type really fast. And unfortunately when I write, when I handwrite, I like what I see, but I don't get enough. I feel like I don't get enough info. That's always been my problem. Uh, but these enhancements do seem pretty dope. I mean, I'm looking, I'm constantly looking at this GIF from Apple of the shape that was immediately created based upon yeah. the key, the, the, the pencil stroke. That was so cool. Um, yeah, no. And yeah, like, look, 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 look at the, look at the bell graphic that I have here, which obviously won't be able to be seen on the, 
on the you know on the audio version the but audio podcast, like yeah. i i would love to just be able to draw this and then hold the pen and then for it to detect that it's the the gauss for the gauss graph and it immediately just give me the bell i would love for that yeah. to happen um so i i do it's just cool that you have that the only problem is we don't know what apps will be able to do it is it system-wide <laughs> or is it only on apple notes which i will not use I refuse to use Apple Notes. Until this day, there are certain things that only Apple Notes does. Like if you need a ruler to draw something, it only works on Apple Notes. Uh, there are certain features that are only available there. And so I hope that this is going to be an API available to all developers and they're gonna be able to take advantage of it because for me, it's OneNote or bust. If it's not available there, I just won't care about it. Why? Because I don't just use an iPad. I also use a Surface Pro X. And so I do want that handwriting option, even if it's gonna be more robust on the iPad, I want to be able to use my Surface Pro X and not have to worry about not having Apple Notes on it. So that's like the only question that's mm -hmm. left. Where is compatibility gonna be limited to? And I do hope that Apple is not going to make that a problem. Um, and yes, I did draw the graph yeah. free by hand. I used to draw when I was when I was. A kid. I was. Um, I. What? That was a fantastic looking graph. I'm actually really impressed by that too. <laughs> <laughs> I used to draw when I was a kid. I just I haven't done it in a long time. Michael Fisher continues to draw. That's fantastic. But uh, yeah, no, I I do want I, like there are a couple of complaints about iPad OS, by the way, which we don't know if that's going to be like the final version or not, because like, for example, right now, widgets only work, which I'm like, wait a second. No, Apple, come on. This is the operating system where widgets were supposed to work, damn it. <laughs> but right now they only work in landscape mode. And if you're and if oh. you're calling on to the sidebar widgets. Um, but I assume that that's currently just a limitation because this is beta one. Like, I wouldn't yeah. even recommend that anybody pay the hundred bucks just to get into that developer beta. It's the reason why we haven't really done a video about it. I'm waiting for the public yeah. beta, which is what everybody can access. And that's going to be like a more robust version of iOS because I don't believe that the widgets are going to be limited to landscape. That it just would not make any sense. Like no sense at all that you can have them on portrait yeah. on an iPhone. I, uh, I, I but forgot you can't to mention that earlier. I forgot to mention earlier the the ninety nine dollar developer fee, which I was like, because we were talking about it, and I was like, I kind of want to get iOS fourteen on my iPhone, maybe just maybe on the eleven Pro, which I'm using right now. But ninety nine bucks just to create a developer, uh, I get it. I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> so that was gonna be the thing. Yeah, I I, I used I used oh, to pay for it. I actually, I. I do believe that we still have our account. I'll look into it if, in case you still want it. But like for me, it's one of those things where it's like, eh, I just, I've had so many bad experiences with developer betas that I'm like, no, I'll wait for the public one. It's literally just a couple of weeks away. It usually happens by like version two or three of the developer beta and developer betas usually get updates once every one or two weeks. So I'm like, just wait for the public beta. Trust me, you'll thank me later. There are a lot of things on beta one that are not even close to what consumers are going to get in the public beta. Mm -hmm. And what do they have to look forward to in iOS 14 beta when the public beta comes out? Widgets. We've already talked about it a few times. We are actually going to be getting some widgets on here. So my first and my initial impression, I actually am right where you are in terms of knowing that widgets have been around for a bit. It was wasn't it in OS 10? The widgets were in the shade. Yeah, typically. Yeah. Right? I remember yeah. that. Okay, so it's incorrect to say that they're just copying something Android invented when in reality it wasn't quite invented 
by anyone in Android. Um, here's the thing. I still think it's going to be a jumbled mess because you're going to have all of these widgets alongside all of the apps that have to still be on your home screen. And I get that the app library is a thing, but I have a whole other thing to say about that. I still think that the widgets are just going to make things a little bit too complicated. And if you forget where, where one of your apps are, you're going to be scrolling for a while trying to find that thing. And that's the most annoying thing when it comes to you. iPhones, at least for me. I lost you there for a bit and now you're back. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to have to oh, cut okay. this off on the audio portion. <laughs> That's all right. Um, the main thing I was saying was I think the widgets will complicate the home screens too much because my main problem. Hmm? Yeah, your audio is now on the phone and it's not on, on the app. It's like, God, this thing is. Oh, that's funny. Let's see if it I, works now. I hear you on in the earphones. The, yeah, no, I have to exit the application and then come back and then your audio is back. There you go. Oh, okay. <laughs> Interesting. There you go. Um, okay. Um, so you think uh, you think okay, so let me let me ask you this. If you right now buy a phone without an app tray, uh, you know, think about it. Oppo, uh, Huawei, uh, a lot of these brands and you restore your apps into this phone, what do you get on that launcher? Endless pages of apps. Correct? Yes. And so I love that that's not the way iOS 14 is going to work. It's like, yes, Android created the app tray, but having an alphabetical order of the app tray was never necessarily the best user interface. Where on iOS, your home screen to a certain degree is going to be your curated area of apps and widgets, and you choose what you have there. And whatever you don't throw into that home screen is going to be available in your app library which is what they call and it's all going to be automatically categorized so you know that music apps are going to be in one folder automatically you know that all these other applications are going to be in and and you can also choose to see them alphabetically if you want you can pick to see them whichever way you want so it's it's optional not just the the alphabetical app tray which honestly i've never been a fan of like literally every time that I restore a phone, I will still create my folders with my apps because I want, I know that I want my UPS and FedEx and everything in one folder. I want all my music apps in another, all my creative apps in another, all my social apps in another, all, <coughs> all my transportation apps in another. So for me, the fact that Apple is going to do that for me automatically is just ideal. I was still going to yeah. organize it that way anyways. <laughs> okay, fair. Um, but I remember seeing that and I kept thinking... <laughs> <laughs> it may not be completely accurate though like there's going to be some app searching that's going on still and i think i caught i talked to a couple of people about it they don't even use folders or app uh, trays if they're on android the number one thing that i've heard people actually do is they use the search um especially on yeah, iphone same. Which, okay that's yeah same. that's not a bad way to do it um but yeah this is same. the reason why is because obviously i'm a little bit different and more minimalist when it comes to my app usage i do make folders but they're in the tray but i prefer to have the one um, the one home screen that has my background. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm more about showing off the background than having all my apps in so many different folders and whatnot. Um, but I, <laughs> I'm guessing you're really excited about the widgets coming. I don't know how, well, I, I imagine they'll look very, they'll look very iOS, <laughs> obviously, even if they're Apple, even if they're apps that you get on Android, they'll have their own iOS-like look. So if anything, um, I will say that what I will say that they do copy the they do copy the old Windows phone approach where it was literally tiles. like a live tile. Mm -hmm. 
that you can make larger or make smaller. And depending on the size that you pick, it'll adapt to that. But, well, Windows Phone is dead. So thank you, Windows Phone, for leaving us that inspiration. <laughs> I mean, what can I say? What yeah. can I say? Like, for me, here's the problem. Here's the thing. Like, I do prefer that approach over Android, for example, where, like, for example, the calendar widget on the S20 Plus right here. So I have the Google Calendar widget, and I can't make it any smaller than this. I can't, like, dynamically make it to the size that I want to fit in the screen the way that I want it. I can't dynamically grab these clock widgets and and make them any smaller or larger. That, uh, that functionality doesn't exist, whereas on iOS, you're going to be able to make it either, you know, it could be just the icon, or it could be a specific box that you can make larger and depending on the size that you pick you'll get more functionality and then there's also this dynamic widget where you can throw in different widgets into just one spot and then you can slide them back and forth depending on what you need like i find it to be again i'm like who cares who invented the damn thing i mean apple invented <laughs> the modern smartphone if we're gonna have to go through that um, mm -hmm. But then it wasn't Apple that invented the smartphone at all. It was HTC with Microsoft, and even Palm was involved there. And so, like, come on. It's not about who does it or who did it first. I don't care who did it first. The question is who does it better. And so, you know, the, the approach to notifications with cards at the top, that was invented by Android. Mm -hmm. iOS had the worst notification system ever, and then they came up with what they have. You know, and then they came up with notifications in chronological order, which for me are significantly better than Android. But then now we've got Android adopting Android 11 with conversations at the top, which for me is significantly better than what iOS offers. And so, you know, that's the that's the challenge. The challenge is make it better. I don't care who made it first, just who makes it better. Who makes it more logical? That's literally what matters. Like, dude, this power button feature to control the lights on the Pixel, it's made me go back to using the damn Pixel. <laughs> I actually have a vi I, I, I'm working on a video about that. I just recorded the A-roll. It's, I, I, Android 11 has made me drift back to the Pixel more than any version that I've ever used before. And so, hey, what can I say? Like, Google is doing a lot of really good stuff with Android 11. This is not a competition of who's first. Just show me who does it better. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and also, I would even add to that, that who does it better for you, the user? Because like we always say in a lot of these comparisons with iPhones, like if you're already in one system, you're probably going to stick to that system. So, you know, as long as they're improving overall, it's a net positive. Um, exactly. I, you know what? I'm, I'm looking forward to trying it out. You know, it'd be nice to actually not have to worry so much about trying to create my own folders all the time. <laughs> uh, because yeah. normally I just delete them all and I just use the tray. That's how I am on Android. That's why uh, I think uh, they have those, I forget who does it, but you can send them your home screens and they'll roast you based upon how terrible your design is. Oh my God. <laughs> and yeah. I, I, I would get ripped. <laughs> Here's the thing, Josh. I mean, I, let's move aside from the software updates. Okay. The question is, which company has done the boldest change? Obviously, this has been a weird year. You know, if I had to narrow down who has done the boldest update of the year, dude, it's Apple right now with this Apple Silicon with mm -hmm. Mac OS now. Like, dude, seeing Final Cut Pro run on an ARM chip, I'm like, yes, damn it, finally. Like, 
and you know seeing it play like if nothing is wrong like that bold move and then having their ecosystems blend even more is one of those things where i'm like see apple behaves like a startup and yet they prove that their teams are up to something whereas you know it's 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 you know part of the video that i'm working right now on pixel is how much i love it because of android 11 and how much i hate it because it's like if the hardware department doesn't get along with the software department it's like if they don't talk to each other <laughs> where you don't see that with apple like everything serves the whole ecosystem no decision is taken affecting something else with the exception of lightning the cable that hasn't gone away um like that needs to die like come on apple just kill that damn thing let's go USB-C, and that let's just move on point being is i feel that apple has proven even more today think about it when did they start with their own chips they started with the first ipad the a4 chip then it came to the iphone 4 and then we saw them do 64-bit with the iPhone 5S. Then we saw them, you know, bring the added graphics with iPads. And then they've proven with iPad Pros that their chips were faster than some Intel chips. And now we get to see the whole... It's like one of those things where you're watching these, like, thrillers. And first you get one part of the, of the story. And then you get the other. And then you're starting to piece everything together. And then you just see everything unfold. Like... Everything that they've been working on for a decade just unfolded at this event, literally. You can mm -hmm. see the roadmap of everything, how it progressed until it was like, boom, here you go. Now we're going to take charge of this thing. It's like, wow, I was really impressed, really impressed. And from you know the comments that I've heard from everyone... Like, people are really loving these updates, man. Like, I think that Apple has never owned the spotlight as much on as on this event and probably before that i the first generation iphone launch with steve jobs like that would be like the previous milestone event that i feel the company has done and obviously every steve jobs event before that period yeah well there you go that was actually it's good that you you put it out that way because that was actually the final point i was going to make was um, I wasn't able to watch it, which I'm actually very mad that I didn't make the effort to watch it because this might be the only WWDC I ever get to attend. <laughs> but <laughs> the, um, <laughs> the thing is that when you take everything as a whole, it really does look like there were so many there's so much thought put into it. And again, I, like I said before, I know that I'm more of an Android person and I view Apple as a walled garden, but that's the whole reason why it's a walled garden. They can develop a lot better when they can control every bit of the process. And that's exactly what was on display here because they went one by one by one. So I agree with you there. Exactly. Um, all right, cool. Well, that was a solid hour on WWDC. Um, I don't imagine, I, I don't know if anybody has any final questions for the last like, However, so often, uh, maybe a few more minutes that we can give, but I think for the most part, we were able to cover it. I'm looking at the comments right here. <laughs> Is it a good we time to buy a Pixel 4 XL now? <laughs> uh, well, it's on sale, like almost permanently. If you can find a good deal, sure, go for it. I think it's a good phone. Yeah. You know, I just, it's not the, like I concluded my video. It's not the prettiest phone. It's not the least expensive and it's not the best phone out there. I just, I have to put it out there. But there's a lot of delight in, in Android 11, dude. I just, wow, I'm like, God, I love this thing. I love this thing so much. I can't even begin to tell you. So it all well, depends. you're on Android 11, I would add to that by saying, I still think that camera's a delight. I still actually really like that camera system. No, dude, like, especially right now that I've been using this S20 Plus, 
like for me, the Ultra was such a disappointment. But then you grab this S20 Plus and a lot of... I'm like, this should have been the Ultra all... This should have been the Ultra. This is all they needed. Literally <laughs> yeah. all they needed. Like, the camera on this phone is just really good. And, dude, you have the iPhone 11 Pro. I, you know, we were at the Google... It's funny how we were at the Made by Google event where we got the Pixels. And then we go out on the street at night in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. And we start taking photos of night sight versus Apple's, you know, low light alternative for night mode. And dude, like the iPhone was owning the Pixel. And it's another point that I make in my video. It's like, listen, guys, I get it that this was a great novelty when the Pixel 3 launched, but everybody caught up one generation mm -hmm. later. And this is one thing that Google really needs to understand that the, they're no longer the camera kings. I'm sorry. For me, the camera king last year was iPhone 11 Pro. For the first time since iPhone 4, the only other time that I would give Apple the crown as the best camera of the year was iPhone 4, back in the day. After that, S6 just killed it, uh, you know, and then we, you know, we, we start, LG was just killing it for years. And then, <laughs> yeah. you know, Samsung took over, then came Pixel, and now it's finally Apple again, 10 years later. So, you know, that, you know, sadly, that can't be the only differentiating factor here. Fair. Um, okay, so... What else do we have? Let's do maybe one, maybe two more at the most. Do you know if we will have a Google event in October? Well, it happens in October every year. Do I know if it's going to happen? No. And even, even if I did, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> yeah, there's certainly... <laughs> Man, these delays, I got to tell you, it's getting a little, it's getting a little tiresome. Let me see. Should should us get the Sony? Oh my God, dude! Why is it? I get comments all the time, and I'm like, are these people getting paid or what? Nobody <laughs> has cared about Sony ever. Nobody has cared about Sony ever. And lately, we get comments in the daily all the time talking about the Xperia One Mark II and how great mm -hmm. it is. I'm like, where did you guys come from? Like, <laughs> I've I make I've made Sony videos for years that people don't care about. And yeah, I, I reached out to Sony. Can I get a Mark II? Which funny, they sent me the Xperia 1. They sent me the previous ones. For some reason, they haven't responded. I guess they're out of units, whatever. I don't care. But honestly, like, what is it about the Mark II? And, and people are like, yeah, well, it's got the Sony camera UI. I'm like, do you know how bad that is? <laughs> do you well, know how bad the Sony camera UI is? Because if you don't, because if you say it's a good thing, you've never used it. No, I have used it. I'm using it now. I mean, it's pretty freaking terrible on the ZV-1, I'll admit. But <laughs> exactly. the, uh, but I have to say that the uh, it seems as if the reason why is because the philosophy came with the software, which I think is what they're trying to really show off. Is like each, you've got three sensors, 12 megapixels each, really great for video, pretty good photos, with a lot of the same features you get on Sony cameras. So I think that's the reason why people are so excited about it. But this is one of those moments where someone's really excited about a product, but the excitement overshadows the fact that the phone is very niche. And I think that's the problem, is that people need to understand, those of you who want us to review it, we want to review it too, don't get us wrong. Yeah. But you're not going to buy it. Let me tell you right now, the majority of you who want this review are not going to buy that phone. That's the disconnect yeah. right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and so, what? what I, again, I'm like, I'm looking at these comments and I'm like, man, this reminds me, do you remember there was this period of time where I think that Microsoft was paying for people to make comments 
back in the launch <laughs> back in the launch of when well you didn't cover windows phone you were an android authority and That's i true. you know the comments were all like all over yes windows phone is the best and i'm like you've never even held the damn phone dude <laughs> like and 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 and, it, and this wasn't me trying to be condescending no the product hadn't even launched meaning nobody had a windows phone in their hand why are you saying that it's amazing if you've never held it and we had mm -hmm. so many comments like that and i'm like no these people are getting paid like seriously <laughs> somebody's paying these people in the comments and eventually it kind of popped up that they did and so you know i'm like oh, wow. is this happening here because like nobody who has a mark ii why didn't these people buy the mark one like why didn't anybody care about any Sony phone previously? It's hilarious, but every single time that I do a Sony review, I call it the anti-2018 or anti-2019 or anti-2020 smartphone because Sony always does something that's the complete opposite that nobody cares about. Mm. That's fair. Uh, final question. Uh, Apple Silicon better than Qualcomm or Intel? We have to wait and see. It sounds we like it's going to be pretty dope. Yeah. We don't. Here's the thing is, I, I can't tell you if it's better. It's not. It's like if, I, if you ask me if, if Huawei Silicon, if High Silicon was better than Snapdragon. Technically, no. If you look at the, you know, if you look at the theoretical numbers, no. But then Huawei has done such an amazing job at optimizing their software for their hardware that it probably is. And there was a time when High Silicon was even better than Snapdragon. I believe it was at the time when we had the Snapdragon 835. That that High Silicon that launched that year was significantly better than Snapdragon. And so is Apple Silicon better? Like people will tell you single core performance is amazing. Multi-core performance is not. But one of the things that we are noticing with this, you know, that Mac mini that they're giving out to developers, it's they're literally making it's like what, what Qualcomm did with the HC, HCX, where they just built this like huge chip designed for computers. It's based on Snapdragon architecture, but it's actually a different chip. And so I think that Apple is just going to be doing that. They're going to be creating different categories of chips that will, you know, adapt to whatever products they're making. So I don't expect the Mac Pro to come out with the A12Z. I don't expect that. I assume that there will hmm. be like the A15 XV or whatever, and that's just going to be this massive chip for that. And we're going to get away for it to be able to harness the GPUs. So it's really hard to tell. From what I understand, yeah. there will be a, a, a you know there will be a list of chips, you know that that will be Apple Silicon. That's just the way it's going to be. All right, cool. Well, Jaime, thank you so much for coming back. This was obviously, you told me specifically, like, I want to talk about WWDC. And this is good, because oh, if, yeah. if anybody watched the daily, uh, you got Jaime actually expanding upon all of the points he made in the daily. So this is really good. Um, all right, cool. Well, I'm going to go ahead and pop it over to the outro. Uh, everyone knows where to find myself and Jaime in pocket now, but go to the show notes for that. And I'll say it in the outro starting now. As always, thank you very much for listening to the Pocket Now Weekly Podcast. And if you were part of the live chat, thank you so much for being a part of our conversation. Again, make sure you follow Pocket Now across all social media platforms, including Instagram and Twitter. We are at Pocket Now. And then, of course, there's the YouTube channel where you find videos pretty much every single day at youtube.com slash Pocket Now. Jaime Rivera is also found on social media at Jaime Rivera or at Jaime underscore Rivera if you're following him on Twitter. And then you can follow me. I am at JVTechT on Instagram and Twitter because 
I'm JV, I love tech, and I love to drink me some tea. If you're looking for some supplemental coverage, I still do my own coverage over at my channel on YouTube. That's youtube.com slash Vergar. After the spirited conversation we had about WWDC, we're going to go ahead and call it on this one. Make sure you go into the show notes for all of the links that I just mentioned, and we will see you in our next episode.